Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in the gospel according to St. Luke, the 15th chapter, especially the 7th verse. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, uh, dear friends in Christ Jesus, you who are here in God's house, and you also Christian friends who are worshiping with us by means of the radio. It is nice to be in God's house this morning on a beautiful Sunday like this, isn't it, friends? And it's nice, radio audience, to have you worship with us also on this beautiful day. If you looked at your church calendar, you know that today is the third Sunday after Trinity. And you also know that since I read it at the lectern, that the ancient gospel lesson that was chosen in the early church to be read on this Sunday tells the story of two parables that Jesus spoke one day. The one was the parable of the lost sheep and the other the parable of the lost coin. We may say, well, just what happened that occasioned Jesus to tell these stories? Well, we are told in our gospel lesson for this Sunday, which also is the basis for our text, uh, that the tax collectors and the open sinners, uh, they came to Jesus in mobs to hear him. They wanted to talk to him. And we may say in 20th century parlance, uh, what about these tax collectors, these publicans, and these open sinners? What would we say about them? Today, you and I would call them backsliders. We would call them those who have strayed from the fold. They were all Jews. They had been raised under the Old Testament covenant, but they were the ones who had gone and strayed and been lost to the fold of Israel. And so they had, these publicans had given themselves to the Roman government and had become very dishonest tax collectors. And here were the open sinners who had walked in their own ways, straying from the fold, backsliders. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw these coming to Jesus in throngs, why they murmured and complained. They were anything but happy individuals because the Pharisees, as you and I know them, were the holier-than-thou people in Jesus' day, the scribes, the great doctors of the law, and they were just outraged to think that these who had been backsliders were coming to hear Jesus and wanted to know what Jesus had to say. And so anything but happy, they began to murmur and they began to complain. And they said this about Jesus. It says, why this man, he not only receives sinners, he not only entertains them, but he actually eats with them. And they couldn't think of anything more foul to say about Jesus than the fact that he entertained them. They actually ate with these backsliders. And then it was that Jesus turned to them and he told the two parables of our text. Christ said to them, since they could find no reason to rejoice in this fact, uh, that these backsliders who had wandered again from the fold were coming to him, Jesus said, what one of you? Now he says, what one of you individuals? You tell me, if you had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered away, that you wouldn't leave the ninety and nine in a safe place, and that you wouldn't go out and seek until you had found that lost sheep. Now wouldn't you really? And Jesus knew that there was only one answer to that, and that was yes, they would have done it. And then Jesus said, this is also what you would do. You would, when you would have found that sheep, you would have placed him on your shoulders and you would have rejoiced that you had found him and you'd come home and you'd invite your neighbors and friends to come in and say, rejoice with me, my sheep that was lost is found. 
And then came a very tremendous statement on the part of Jesus. He said, and likewise, in the same way I say to you, he says, there is joy in heaven. He says, over one sinner, one backslider that repents and comes back, more than over ninety and nine who need not to repent of backsliding. That's what he said. And in the second parallel about the same point, what woman, if she had ten silver coins and would lose one of them, wouldn't light a candle and sweep her house and diligently seek to find the coin? And when she would have found it, wouldn't she again invite the neighbors to come in and say, Rejoice with me because the coin that I lost has been found. And then Jesus says, In the same way, there is joy in amongst the angels of God over one sinner, one backslider that repents. And as Jesus still speaks to you and me through his word this morning, this is what he is saying to you and to me. He is assuring us as regards backsliders that there is more joy, there is more jubilation, there is more happiness up in heaven on the part of God and the angels over one backslider who comes back and repents than there is joy over those of us who have never backslidden. In other words, Christ is saying to you and me about backsliders, he is saying the bells of heaven ring louder when backsliders come back than those bells ring because of you and me who may have never backslidden and wandered away from the fold. And you may say, wait a minute, preacher, that's pretty hard for me to digest and swallow and believe. We may say to ourselves, do you mean to say me, tell me that the bells of heaven ring louder for backsliders when they return than it does for those who have never slidden backwards and have never left the fold? We may say, well, that could be nothing else but being unfair. Oh, that couldn't be right. That couldn't be proper. We'd say, well, that's every indication that God plays favorites. That's every indication that God's partial to those who are backsliders. God must love backsliders more than he loves us who are not backslidden from the faith. Then we may say, well, if that's the way he feels about it, if that's the way God feels that, again, there's more joy when backsliders come back. We may say to ourselves, we'll show him, watch our smoke. We'll crack the bells of heaven. We may say, I'm going out and I'm going to be a backslider. And brother, I'm going out and there isn't anything that I won't do. And then I'll come back and then won't heaven rejoice. And won't the angels shout for joy. Oh, I'll crack those bells of heaven, we may say. This is so obviously unfair. It isn't right. It isn't proper. God must indicate then that he plays favorites and he loves backsliders more than he loves us who don't have the sin of backsliding to repent of. And yet, Christian friends, Jesus did say it, didn't he? I say to you, there is more joy, there is more jubilation, there is more rejoicing, there is more happiness up there on the part of God and the angels. When a backslider returns, then there is over you and me if we have never backslidden. And let's rest assured that that is fair. That is no indication whatever that God is partial. No indication that God plays favorites. No indication that God loves the backslider more than he may love you and me. You may say, preacher, you're going to have a tough time proving that. But I don't think so. On the basis of the word of God, I think we can justify the fact that 
the very reason that the bells of heaven, they ring louder for backsliders than for those who have not backslidden. When the backslider returns, it is fair, it is the only proper thing because in the first place, Christ reminds you and me every Sunday that not many backsliders ever return to the fold. How many backsliders do you know, friend, who have known Jesus Christ and who have wandered away have ever come back? You know, if you were standing here with me this morning, up here, you know, it looks a little different when you look out and you look at me. But you know where I'm standing, I see some empty pews. And you may say, well, you haven't got any kick coming. You may say, after all, we've got the largest church attendance of any Protestant church in Mary, and that's right. And I say that in all humility. You may say, imagine what some churches may have. But I see vacant seats and pews, and I know this that on the rows of our congregation, counting everybody who is a confirmed member, there are about 2,500 names. That means even in our church, we know this, that we don't take a member in and wave a box of envelopes in front of him and say, now you're a Lutheran, and he doesn't have any more idea what it means to be a Lutheran or to be a Moravian. Again, we take time to instruct him. We take 12 weeks to give him an opportunity to know what the Christian religion's all about. We tell him about sin, and we tell him about God's Son that came out of the ivory palaces into this world of sin. We tell him that he was true God and true man. He was of more value than the human race. He was born of the virgin without sin, and that this God-man in our stead went to Calvary's cross, and there he bore our guilt and our punishment, and he gained an exemption ticket from hell for the entire human race, and he gained a 100% righteousness a ticket to heaven for the entire human race. We take time to train men and women that when they stand at this altar and they become a member of this congregation that it must mean to them that they are surrendering to Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. And yet Jesus reminds you and me that not many who wander away ever come back. How many do you know? And we may say, why? Why is it that some wonder away? Why in any church in this city, if all the members that have their names on the list would come to church on any one given Sunday, not very many churches could hold them. We couldn't. We'd have to schedule another service if they all came. Where are they? Jesus reminds you and me that the backsliders very seldom come back. And therefore, is it any wonder that he assures you and me that the bells of heaven ring louder when backsliders repent and return? Why? Because that's a red-letter day in heaven. That is an unusual day. That is a day that doesn't happen too often. And therefore, that is not discrimination. That is not favoritism. Why, if you have several children and your one child has a birthday, you have a birthday cake for that child, but you don't have a birthday cake for the other child. On the first child's birthday, is that discrimination? No. It's a red-letter day. It's a real unique day. It is a great day and a great occasion. And therefore, when Jesus assures you and me that there's more joy, more jubilation, more rejoicing, in heaven when a backslider comes back and repents then there is over your and mine belonging to the kingdom and not having backslidden there's a reason because it's a unique day in heaven it's a day when God and the angels rejoice it doesn't happen too often oh there is no discrimination 
there is no indication that God loves the backslider more than he loves you and me. And that's why on this Sunday when we think of backsliders, we ought to say this to ourselves in law shape, that I am determined that I'm not going to murmur and complain against Christ because there's more joy in heaven over backsliders that return. And we ought to say to ourselves, we're determined that we're not going to tell Jesus, you watch my smoke, I'm going out. Oh, the scribes and the Pharisees, they ridiculed Jesus terribly because he entertained the backsliders, those who had sold themselves to the Roman government, and again they were in ridicule in the eyes of their own countrymen and those whose slips were showing an open sin. But bear in mind that when Jesus ate with this type, the backslider, it was not that he approved of what they had done. He was there, and they knew why, to bring them up to him. He was there to help them, and not to say, it's all right, go ahead and live, as indeed you would. Let's bear in mind that when we backslide, we take our consciences, and it's just like taking a file, and we file off the edge of our conscience, that our conscience loses its sensitivity. And again, the farther we go on this way as we wander away from the fold, and the longer we stay, the less and less are we susceptible to the Holy Spirit. And it means that it's possible in your life and mine as we wander away to kill conscience that our actual spiritual life within us dies and we commit spiritual suicide. And even the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, no longer has any effect upon us. And therefore, God forbid that you and I should say because there's more joy in heaven when a backslider comes back that we're going to go out and we're going to let ourselves go and we are going to see how far we can go. God forbid because you see on that road the sin against the Holy Ghost, the unpardonable sin, there comes a point when there is no point of return. Some say when you're once in grace, aren't you always in grace? Not at all. Here were 100 sheep, but one wandered away. You and I can fall. Jesus says, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. To wander away and to hope to come back, it's so dangerous, it's so treacherous, lest again we reach that point of no return. And conscience is dead, and the word of God has no effect on us, and we ridicule it, and we murmur, and we complain. Some of you may be saying to me this morning, how do you know if we have again been a backslider but what it's already too late? If you're even asking the question, is it too late? Have I reached the point of no return? Have I committed the sin against the Holy Ghost that is unpardonable? Friend, you and I can rest assured that we haven't because someone who has reached that point of no return isn't even concerned. He doesn't care. There is nothing but blasphemy against God. You talk about backsliders. Jesus tells us in these beautiful parables there is more joy, there is more jubilation, there's more happiness in heaven over a backslider who has wandered away, who returns, than there is over again those of us who may say we have never backslidden, we have never turned our backs, we have never wandered away. We may say it isn't fair, it isn't right, it isn't proper, but it is. It's no indication uh, that God loves the backslider more than he loves us. Because in the second place, let's know this. Christ reminds you and me of this fact, that backsliders shall be beaten with many stripes. You know, it's strange about the Word of God. People are 
laughing about the fact of the devil, but the Word of God talks about a Satan, doesn't it? Talks about a fallen angel who is the father of lies. The Word of God talks about hell. The Word of God talks about a place of the damned. And it also talks about this, that in that hell, which is separation from the mercy and the love of God, there will be different degrees of punishment. Remember one day that Jesus said this, the man that doesn't know his will and doesn't do it, he shall be punished but with few stripes. But the man that does know the will of God and doesn't do it, he shall be beaten with many stripes. The Word of God says there are different degrees of punishment in hell. And when Jesus said about Judas that it were better for that man if he had never been born, when he sent his soul to hell, hell must be hell, let alone to be beaten with many stripes. The one who is the backslider knows better. The backslider has known Christ. He has surrendered to him. He has known that he's the only way to life and salvation. But the backslider is a person who says, I know better. I don't care. I am deliberately turning my back on him. I am wandering away. I'm going to the world and I don't care what he says. I dethrone Christ and I'm going to be the captain of my own soul. When you and I deliberately desert the ranks, when we defect, when we become a renegade, then, because we know better, we shall be beaten with many stripes. And thus, no wonder the bells of heaven ring louder for, again, the defector, the backslider that comes back. Not that God loves the backslider more than he loves you and me, but whenever the backslider repents and comes back and asks for forgiveness, it's an occasion for God in heaven to manifest his grace and his mercy rather than his justice. You know, once in a while you and I get this idea of God, that God is sort of a neutral God, the God of grace or love, and a God of justice, and that God doesn't care which one he uses. If you want grace, he'll save. If you don't want it, you got his justice and he'll damn you. And he doesn't care which one. He's just neutral in the case. Well, let me tell you this. That isn't the picture of God in the Word of God. There's a picture of God that is tremendous. Listen, God is hopelessly, he is magnificently prejudiced on the part of love. You say, how do you know that? Well, God in his word says, as I live, saith the Lord, swears by himself. There's nobody higher to swear by. He says, as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure, no joy, no delight in the death of the wicked. But he says, this is my delight, but that the wicked man turn from his way and live. Let me put it this way, God would a million times rather, yes, ten million times, ten million times rather, use his grace and forgive you and me and pardon us and reinstate us than he would ever in justice damn you and me. He is hopelessly, gloriously prejudiced on the part of love. Don't you ever forget that. And why again do the bells of heaven ring louder? When one who has defected the ranks, a backslider, comes back in repentance because it enables God to do why he'd rather do it than eat. It enables God to exercise his love and to say you're pardoned, you're forgiven, you're reinstated. There's nothing that God would rather do than just that. No wonder Jesus would have you and me know about backsliders that those who defect the ranks 
why there's more joy, there's more jubilation, there's more rejoicing in heaven when they repent and return than there is over you and me if we've never defected the ranks and not that it isn't fair. It is most fair. It is kind. It is the proper thing. God doesn't play favorites. He doesn't love them more than he loves us. A God isn't partial that he's partial to them more than us. Not at all, but it's an enabling whereby he can take his grace and mercy and he can shower it through Jesus Christ. And therefore, we ought to say this to ourselves this morning. We ought to ask ourselves, have I defected the ranks? Where have I been? One of you said to me, you say a lot of things, and the only thing you say that I don't like is this. And this is what he told me one day. He said, whenever you say that miss church three times in a row, and you may miss it forever, and you may never come back. And you said, I don't like that. Well, I know why you don't like it. I don't like it either. Bear in mind, I'm not talking about the man that's sick and can't come. But again, it's so terribly true. All you have to do is miss it three times in a row and you may miss it forever and ever and you may die of spiritual starvation and never even know. And you know that's true and so do I. And therefore again, if we have defected the ranks, if we are amongst the backsliders, we've known Christ and we've walked away in view of the fact that the bells of heaven ring louder when we return, we ought to say to ourselves this morning, there's one thing I'm going to do, I'm coming back. Uh, because nothing would please Jesus any more than our return. We may say, well, I'm ashamed to go back. I have wandered away so long. I have been away from him. I've been away from grace. I've been away from the church. I haven't paid any attention to Christ. I couldn't care less. And now to come back, I'm ashamed. Well, friend, if you weren't ashamed to go, why would you be too ashamed to come back? And you say, well, all I'll get is a cold shoulder. And again, I defy you in the word of God. Show me a Christ with a cold shoulder. I don't see one there, do you? I see a Christ with a warm shoulder, with a warm bosom. I see a Christ that invites. A Christ again, he says, he went out seeking the lost sheep, didn't he? Until he would find him. Oh, again, it's such a tremendous privilege for Christ to forgive you and me when we come and all that he asks is to tell him we're sorry and to ask him for forgiveness because he died for our sins putting our childlike faith and trust in him and oh there's a glorious reinstatement and the bells of heaven will ring oh don't you hear them bells they are ringing for the glory of the day that's what it is look at the two big defectors in the new testament Simon Peter, son of John, or Pete Johnson, and Judas Iscariot. Those men were defectors. Simon Peter, when he was there in the courtyard of Caiaphas, been with Jesus for three years, and when the mate asked him, don't you know that guy? He says, I never saw him in my life. Oh, he fell like a ton of bricks. Talk about wandering away. And yet what? Jesus wanted him back. Amidst it all, Christ looked at him, didn't he? Just what a look that must have been. Peter, how could you do it? Pete Johnson, how could you do it? And old Peter wept bitterly. And now on Easter Sunday, we're told that Jesus appeared to Peter in private. Why? To reassure him, oh, thank God you came back, Peter. It was the joy of heaven. The bells rang. Yes, for forgiveness, but there was Judas. The records show that probably on Saturday night before Palm Sunday, he had made the 30 pieces of silver deal, jingled them in his pockets, and again, yet look at Jesus, throwing out the lifeline for that man. Went up in the upper room, he says, one of you is going to betray me, trying to plead with you. Judas, don't do it. And one of you that dippeth with me in the shop, you're going to do it. Christ was just throwing out the light. Judas, don't do it. Don't do it. Again, a willingness to forgive. Judas, come on back, Judas. 
But he didn't come back, did he? Oh, again, there's no cold shoulder. I don't care how far you and I have defected, what we've done, what the nature of our sin may be. I do know this. There is nothing that could please your Lord and mine much more or any more than just to come back and then be the joy of being saved. The joy of having eternal security. The joy of letting the bells of heaven ring and they love it up there when that happens. You may say, oh, being saved, preacher, we hear that so much. It's getting so tried in the church we don't want to hear that anymore. And yet, you know, how else would you say it? Do you know of anything that meant any more to Jesus than to be saved, to be eternally secure with him, to spend an eternity with him in heaven? Do you know of anything any finer or any nicer? Have we, again, have we grown so sophisticated and so intelligent that to be saved in Christ has lost its glow, that it has lost its gleam? There's something wrong, isn't there? To be eternally secure, Christ says it means so much in heaven that when, if we have wandered away and we come back in true sorrow and true faith, that the bells of heaven, oh, they ring louder than they do at any other time. Heaven and the angels of God rejoice. It must mean something up there. Pray, God, doesn't it mean anything in your life and mine as to whether we are saved or not? Talking about backsliders and defectors and... Again, individuals that have wandered away from the fold and have strayed into wrong paths. And Jesus has something to say about that. There's more joy when the defector, when the backslider comes back than there is over you and me if we have never backslidden. We may say, that, that doesn't seem fair. It just doesn't seem right. Uh, it looks like God loves the backslider more than he loves us. But no, he doesn't. I'd like to mention this too. Christ assures you and me and reminds us this morning that backsliders, when they come back, oh, they make this kind of witness. They, they are convincing witnesses about Jesus Christ. You don't see many come back, strange to say, but when they do come back, they come back because something's happened. Something has happened. They've had an experience. Something has brought to their consciousness the fact that they are lost, that they are damned. Look at David, for instance, the great defector in the Old Testament. He was a child of God, a son of the covenant. One night up on the roof, he looked over and there was Bathsheba. And oh, she must have been quite a doll because she shook, took him, didn't she? He brought her over and they had incest and intercourse and she became pregnant. And the big thing was to cover up and everything looked so fine. Called Uriah back from the service, from the army and got him drunk one night and hoped he'd go home so they could blame the unborn babe on him. But he didn't go home. He slept in the garrison. And then when he went back, why, here was a man that carried the notice that he and the orders to kill him by himself and to go back to war and they killed Uriah. And everything seemed to be gone pretty nice for David. He was out and all the road was, oh, it looks well, didn't it? He had defected the ranks. It was fun. Only until God told Nathan the prophet and the prophet came. You know, it's not just coincidental uh, that Jesus, when he was telling about backsliders and the joy of heaven that he talked about sheep, remember, Jesus knew his Bible. Nathan, remember the story? He came to David. He said, David, there was a man that had a lot of sheep. And then there was a poor man that had only one. And the poor man loved that sheep. He slept with him and the sheep 
ate with him at the table and he loved that path. And then that rich man got company one day and he went over and he took that one sheep of the poor man and they slaughtered it and he served it in David before Nathan could finish the story. So that man's got to die. And Nathan said, you're that guy. And now he was that guy. And then he woke up, didn't he? Then you got David what? What an experience. He said, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. He said, oh God, there was a turmoil inside of me. Uh, how many times do you think he thought about taking his life? He just burned up in conscience bothering him. David, he knew by experience what it meant to be lost. And it's hell to be lost. Really, it is. Then again, when he couldn't stand it anymore, he came back and he wrote again. He said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free mercy. You talk about a convincing witness. Listen, when David talks, other backsliders listen because there was a man who knew what it meant to be lost and he knew what a torturing, damning conscience really felt like. And every Sunday it's beautiful in the services and when we sing those words of David, oh, David lived a thousand years before Christ, three thousand years. How many people do you think that David, the backslider that came back, has influenced for Christ through his 51st Psalm? And again, creating me a clean heart of God. Why does heaven rejoice when a backslider comes back, even though it's rare, and even though one that doesn't come back shall be beaten with many stripes? Oh, what convincing witnesses they are. And heaven knows that these return backsliders because they've experienced what it means to be lost. But they will win souls for Christ that you and I will never win. They speak from experience. And God isn't unfair. That's no evidence that he doesn't love the non-backslider. No. Think of throughout the years and the centuries the number of people who have been won for Christ because David a backslider. From experience, there was a witness and a testimony that we have in the Psalms. Tremendous, isn't it? That ought to mean just this. But when we say to ourselves, well, what about this thing of backsliders? You mean the bells of heaven ring louder? Sure they do. Why, it's the only fair thing. It's love at its best. Then we ought to say to ourselves in uh, this hour in which we're living, and oh, we say, the world's going to hell. Uh, you, you just can't stop it. What can we do? You know what we can do? We can stop murmuring and we can say, well, what I'd do if I had a lost sheep and if I lost a coin, I would go out and do something and I'd rejoice. Then we ought to say, that's what I'm going to do with regard to backsliders. You know, we need backsliders to come back. The world's going to hell. It's breaking up codes and morals. We say we're just coming apart at the seams. We need backsliders. The only way we're going to get them is to go out and to again seek them for salvation. Oh, it's easier to get ten new members than it is to warm up an old one. I know that. It's easier to go out and win somebody who's never known Christ than it is to go out and to get a backslider know he's a sinner and he's lost and damned to bring him back but oh it's it's worthwhile I recall soon after I came here I remember I had a funeral it was a house funeral 
And I even remember the house where it was. And after I had preached, I must have said something. A man came up to me and said, I'm coming to your church, preacher. And I took it with a grain of salt. I'll be honest with you. I thought, well, a lot of people say that at the time of death. won't come to church, you know. But he came. He came to church, and then when I got his story again, a man that had been fighting a losing battle with alcohol, a man who, again, business was going to smash, on the verge of losing his home, everything, name, reputation, and again, he needed help, and he found help in Jesus Christ. And then, again, when the man came back, he had known him and had forgotten him. I remember standing on the street with him one day, and a third party came up, and the, this man introduced me to the third party, and then my man said, uh, why don't you come to church some Sunday where I worship? This man looked at my man here and he said, you asked me to go to church. You, I know you. And my man said, yes, you know me. And if I didn't go to church on Sunday, I'd be in that gutter. He said, on Wednesday. That was my undertaker. And how many of you are in this church because an undertaker came back? He knew what it was to be lost. When he was on his deathbed, he looked at me and he said, you know, preach, said, I got a better home upstairs. Smile, got a better home up there. Again, it takes the backslider. Oh, what amazing things. When a backslider comes back, who has known what it means to be lost, what he can do. There was my doctor friend. Oh, yeah, he listened on the radio. Yes, he didn't have time for Christ. He drove up to one of our homes about... 11.30 or quarter to 12 one Sunday morning. It was cold as all get out outside, and he didn't get out of the car. And my family says, we thought that maybe he was asphyxiated. He stayed in the car so We went out to see if he was all right. And as they opened the door, he turned off his radio. He wasn't quite ready to tell them, but he was listening to the service in the church. He came back and came in. And every Sunday morning, if you knew him, he had an appointment with his Lord at 10.30. He made his hospital rounds early. And he told them, I, I've got an appointment with the Lord. I go to church on Sunday. And he brought Christian influence to patients. One day he called me where there was a death in one of the rooms. And I went up and I heard him offering comfort to a family that had lost a child. And then he turned to me and said, I wanted you to come to, perhaps you could say something too. Have you any idea? When you and I went a backslider and he comes back, the tremendous things that can happen. God knows that's what this world needs right now. We need some backsliders to come back and who again know what it means to be lost and damned with their convincing witness. That's the job and I suppose the most notorious backslider I ever had in my ministry was one in my first charge and she was the village prostitute in a town of 2,000. Everybody knew her. She was an educated woman. She could no longer be a prostitute because no one would have anything to do with her. She was too diseased with syphilis and with gonorrhea. But she sent for me one day and said this to me. When I die, would you say a blessing over my grave? I don't, I don't want to be buried like the dogs. And then there came a God-forsaken plea from that face, hardened in sin. She said, do you think that God could have any place in heaven for somebody like me? And then she told me, she said, I remember as a girl, I went to Sunday school, and I knew Jesus, and I, I wondered away, could, could I come back? She was instructed, and I had an adult class one Sunday in that church, and there was one, she was the one. She walked to the altar using a broomstick for a cane. One of my wealthy women asked if she couldn't have the honor of standing at the altar with her to hold her up. 
And I'll never forget as long as I live in all humility when she turned after being confirmed and faced that congregation. Well, there was a face that I saw that was hardened. One of my elders said, she is the filthiest mouth, person, man, or woman that I have ever seen in my life. I had never heard the epithets, he told me one day, ever come out of any human lips or mouth that came out of that woman's mouth. But she stood there alone, standing with a broomstick in her hand. There was something different. That hardened face, there was a glow of Christ-likeness. And when she died out at the county home, the superintendent, who was a good friend of mine, he said this. He said, it's amazing the influence that that woman has had here. You see, she could talk. She knew what it meant to be damned. And she could speak in humility about her Lord. She knew, and there was tremendous comfort, that there's more joy up there in heaven on the part of God and the angels over a backslider who comes back more than over you and me, even if we've never backslidden. Don't you hear them bells? They are ringing for the glory of the day. What a God, a God of mercy, where the bells ring, and they ring loud. Oh God, how great thou art, how great Thou art, how great thou art. Amen. Of God, which passeth all human understanding, keeping unites your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen.
against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 